Last time on Bullets and Rust, Blake West ran me over the coals for going behind his back. However, the whole reason I was hired was to shake things loose, to look in places that the police couldn't. Or wouldn't. I had a visit from Justine, too. She's impatient for answers, even as the Limacoli family tells her to back off. It seems that whatever Spence did to get himself killed, it wasn't sanctioned by the family. And no one wants a mob war. Well, almost no one. Someone killed Spence, and it's still unclear as to why. I'm worried there might be more to this case than meets the eye. To try and make sense of it all, I called my only contact at the Trovolone crime family, a man named Chester. He informed me that his side hasn't paid anyone to have Spence killed. That's not much, but it is something. Meanwhile, I visited Chelsea Westmarch, the high-priced whore that Abner's put up in a condo downtown. I pressed her for information, but she pointed out that she's just as likely to get burned by all of this blackmail as Abner is. She has no interest in ruining the good thing she's got going. Yet another dead end. Finally, I received a desperate call from Abner. Someone's following him, and they're lurking outside his house. I'm not interested in catching a bullet. At first, I told him to call the cops. Let them handle it. But an offer of $10,000, well, that goes a long way. Okay, Abner, I'll be right there.
When you crack a hundred miles an hour, the lines on the highway tend to blur together. Other cars become obstacles. Even a small pothole can spell disaster. Thankfully, my police training had involved a course on, how do you say, aggressive driving. A few moments ago, I'd been on my way home when I received a call from Abner Forrest. He was the man who hired me to solve his little blackmail problem. Now, however, he was certain that someone had followed him home and was trying to kill him. He offered me ten grand to come and save his life. I figured there was no way that someone was actually trying to murder him, but I could hardly afford to turn down $10,000. Thankfully, Abner lives close to the highway. As I raced over, I tried to think of what could actually be the problem. Who would be following Abner? His blackmailer already had all the evidence of indiscretion they needed. A professional killer was likely to be much more discreet. So who could it be? Hell, who knows these days? Maybe it really was someone trying to kill him. There's no shortage of people in this world who are bad at their jobs, and contract killing isn't any different. I pulled into a driveway a quarter mile down the street and pulled my Walther from the glove box. The pistol slid perfectly into my hand. I chambered around as I got out of the car and grabbed a small point-and-shoot camera I kept hidden there. I left my phone in the car, but I still needed to be able to take a picture if the need arose. You never know when you'll stumble on an important piece of evidence. I hid my keys on the back tire, because it's almost impossible to sneak up on someone with a keychain clanging in your pocket. I ran towards Abner's house. I wasted no time in finding cover. In an old neighborhood like this, there are plenty of old-growth trees and thick rhododendrons. Stalker's best friends. Even with my pistol in hand, I kept my finger off the trigger. Once a gun gets shot... It's a lot harder to keep things like this quiet. Remember, I'm not a cop anymore. Taking stock of the area, I noticed fresh footprints in the mud by the fence. So there was someone here. Maybe old Abner was right. I moved slowly, following the footprints around the outside of the house. Abner's stalker had mounted the fence into the backyard, and I did the same. As I lowered myself to a crouch, I heard leaves rustling on the other side of the arborvitas. I took a deep breath before pushing myself through to the other side. I'm not exactly sure what I expected, but it sure as hell wasn't a five-foot-tall woman wearing black clothes and dark makeup. Kelly? The stalker turned on her heels. She had a camera in her hand and a pistol on her hip. Her gear was almost identical to mine. Her hand began to reach down, but she stopped when she saw my face. Hey! Is that you? Zeke? I lowered my pistol, sliding it into my pocket. I didn't want someone else seeing us and getting the wrong idea. Hearing the surprise in her voice brought a smile to my face. Kelly Fitzpatrick is a rival of mine, and she's better than most. While I hate losing jobs to her, there is a grudging respect between the two of us. Without her makeup on, Kelly's got pale white skin and dark freckles. She might be short, but she's a tough little bitch. Rumor was, she killed a guy in her first assignment. With her bare hands. I never bothered looking into it, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. What the hell are you doing here? Bird watching. It's a bit late for that, don't you think? You've never heard of an owl? She cracked a grin. Don't tell me you're working this case, too. That depends on which case you're talking about but it looks like we're both interested in the same man. So what's your angle here, Zeke? 
One that doesn't make me look like a cat burglar. You know, it's pretty dumb, prowling around while he's still at home. I was following him as he went to pick up his girlfriend. I thought I'd be taking pictures of them checking into a hotel, not coming here. When they pulled in, I parked on the next street over and decided to get whatever I could. Except you got caught. The goddamn neighbors. They've got a motion light in their driveway. I almost left when it came on, but I didn't think they saw me. So why didn't you split? Aren't you worried about the 5-0? Not likely. Kelly tapped the side of her head. There was a wire running from her ear to a small dark box hanging off of her hip. So, she was using a portable radio to monitor the police band. If he called the cops, I would have split. Instead, it looks like he called you. <laughs> Abner had done the right thing after all. You're lucky it was me, not someone else. And you're lucky I was so distracted. You shouldn't sneak up on someone who's armed, Zeke, unless you've added a death wish to your list of self-destructive habits. I don't know. Seems to have worked out okay to me. Have it your way, Zeke. Together, we walked around the side of Abner's house. Whatever she was here for, we both knew I wasn't about to let her keep doing it. You care to tell me what the hell you're really doing here? I already asked you the same question. You know what I mean. Who hired you? <laughs> you know I can't tell you that. You know I could detain you here while Abner calls the cops. Trespassing is still against the law, you know. Kelly sighed. She reached into her back pocket and pulled out a business card. That's got my new number on it, not the office. Call me tomorrow and we'll work this out over lunch. I might have pressed the issue, but calling the police was an empty threat. Abner was so paranoid, I doubt I'd be able to convince him to even dial the number before Kelly slipped away. However, while I might respect Kelly, I didn't exactly trust her. Before she could react, I pulled out my pocket camera and snapped a picture. Now, I had proof that she'd been here, with both a camera and her gun in hand, and Abner's house was visible in the background. He's going to file a police report about an attempted break-in, I warned her. So unless you want them to receive an anonymous tip, our lunch date better be satisfying. She frowned, but she didn't argue the point. And you're buying, I added. She glanced at me over her shoulder. And I'll add it to my client's list of expenses. I walked over to Abner's front door and rang the bell. I caught a flutter of curtains as he looked to see who was there. A minute later, the door crept open. Abner was standing in his socks and his underwear. The moment I stepped inside, he slammed the door shut behind me. I heard you talking. What happened? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. She wasn't here to kill you, but she was hired to follow you. We made our way to the kitchen. I noted there was a pair of glasses in the sink. Is she the one who's blackmailing me? No, but she might be working for whoever is. I'm not sure yet. Did you get her camera? It wasn't worth the scuffle. I'm meeting her tomorrow anyway, and we'll discuss a buy-off if there's anything that warrants it. A buy-off? Wait, what? You're seeing her tomorrow? Do you know her? She's a competitor. A good one. And she charges a lot more than I do. So that's good to know. Whoever hired her has deep pockets. You're just going to talk to her? Professional courtesy. We're going to see what we can work out. I thought the point of hiring you was so they wouldn't have to pay whoever was blackmailing me. That's not what a buy-off is. This wasn't the first blackmail case I'd taken. More than once, I'd stumbled on one of my colleagues acquiring evidence. 
The moment I informed them of what the pictures were being used for, giving them to the client made them an accessory. It also meant they couldn't accept another payment. A buy-off was a way to soften the blow. If her pictures are being used to blackmail you, she could lose her license. Buying her off means paying her expenses. Then she gives us the pictures and drops the client. Abner's brow furrowed. He started pacing the hallway, and I noticed that the door to his living room was open. There was a woman's blouse on the floor and a trace of white powder on the countertop. That might have been why Abner wasn't keen to call the police. Trust me, this is good news. We might have our big break. Or it's about to blow up in your face. That's why we're going to be careful. Now, I'm going home. It's getting late. You'll call me when it's done, right? When I know something, you'll know something. But we're not going to know anything until tomorrow. Do you really think that this might be it? That it might be over? Abner, don't get your hopes up. This could be a dead end, but it can't possibly hurt us. Strictly speaking, that wasn't really true. There were plenty of ways that Kelly's involvement could spell disaster, but there wasn't anything Abner could do about it anyway, so why worry him? Why would someone else have a private detective following me? Considering the residue of cocaine on the counter and the hooker in the other room, the question was almost funny. But again, I wasn't hired to point out the uncomfortable truths. I'm going home, Abner. Get some rest. He nodded meekly and went back into the living room. I drove back by his place, only to see that he'd turned on all the lights and his rock music was audible from the street. Some people never fucking learn. Usually, having a full night in bed does me a world of good, but I spent most of that night staring at the ceiling. My mind kept running in circles, and every time I came close to nodding off, something startled me back. I had too many voices echoing in my head. Liam O'Malley was only nine years old, and I couldn't be sure if he was alive or dead. Someone had taken him from his home, and all signs pointed to an enemy of his father's. However, after looking into the background of everyone with a direct connection, all I had was suspicion and innuendo. Plenty of motive, less opportunity. And to make matters worse, Liam's parents had lied to me. I wasn't surprised, but it still felt baffling. I was the best chance they had to get their son home alive, and they put that in jeopardy to protect Killian's reputation. At first, I had no reason to suspect either one of them, except that family members are always suspects. But the lying? That put Kindle and Killian directly in my crosshairs. Of course, that raised a host of other questions. Chief among them? Why? Why would they want Liam gone? What would they have to gain? Then there were the things Mercy had told me. Troubling things. Eventually, I rolled out of bed and stumbled into the dining room. There, I laid out my files for all three of my cases. I leafed through them, attempting to put some sort of logical order to it. Normally, this is the sort of thing I'd ask Linda to do, but she quit yesterday in a tirade so blue it would make a sailor blush. For the time being, I was on my own. An hour slipped by, then two. I found myself returning to a picture I had of Kindle O'Malley. Mercy had said that Kindle was reaching a breaking point, but that hadn't been all that clear when I'd spoken to her on Wednesday. It was clear that she was caught in an unhappy marriage, but that's hardly unusual. Maybe it was time for me to pay her another visit. 
At some point, my body gave in. I woke up shortly after 8 a.m., slouched in my chair in a line of drool running across my arm. Being an independent investigator isn't a particularly glamorous occupation. I took a shower and got dressed, then I uploaded the pictures from my camera onto my private server. I grabbed my jacket and was surprised by the weight. Then I remembered the trip to Abner's house and remembered that the Walther was still in my pocket. I decided to keep it with me. I wasn't exactly expecting trouble, but it never hurts to be prepared. It's not a long drive to the O'Malley's condo, but it felt like it took forever. I spent most of the ride over trying to think of an excuse to separate Kindle from her husband. He was savvy to the game and might resist. That's not to say that I thought Kindle was weak or stupid, but Killian was a professional predator and she wasn't. But even with idiots, separate interviews are basic 101 level shit. Of course, Blake West hadn't given me that option. It was no wonder the police had to call me in. They were too busy sucking up to do their jobs. When I arrived at the building, I used my usual trick to get through the locked security door. Kindle almost certainly would have buzzed me up, but I wanted to catch her as off guard as I possibly could. The less time I gave her, the less time she had to organize her lies. Reaching the end of the hallway, I wrapped my hand against the door using the same pattern Blake had used on Wednesday. After a few moments, a nervous voice spoke through the door. Who's there? It's Zeke Adams, the investigator. The latch clattered loudly as she let me inside. Stepping in, I was about to offer my brilliant excuse, but Kindle cut me off. Killian's not home, Mr. Adams. Finally, something on this case was going my way. Damn it, I muttered, pretending to be displeased. There were just a few, well, you know what, you might be able to help me. There's a few things that I need cleared up. Kindle waved me into the family room. Take a seat, Mr. Adams. Thanks. The entire place felt sterile, a home under hermetic seal. It was hard to imagine a child living here. It might have a nice view, but that doesn't make a prison any less of a prison. Just ask the poor bastards in Alcatraz. On Wednesday, I noted the dent in the plaster in the hallway. Mercy mentioned Killian's violent temper, and I was on the lookout for any physical signs. What is it that you wanted to know? Truthfully, there were a million unanswered questions, but most of them led nowhere. Right now, I needed to be careful. Saying the wrong thing could ruin my best chance at getting the truth. Yes, the, um... It's just... Well, the night Liam went missing. I was hoping you could walk me through it again. It's hard to talk about it. Didn't the police take a recording or something? I'm not the police. Besides... Going through it again can still be useful. Sometimes it knocks a new detail loose. Does it? I've broken plenty of cases that way. Kindle turned her head, staring out the window. Outside, Lake Erie was flat and still, a dark blue sheet of glass. As the seconds ticked by, Kindle seemed to grow smaller, as if she were fading into herself. The circles within her eyes drew darker. Waiting doesn't make it any easier, Mrs. O'Malley. You should speak to my husband instead. Well, he's not here, and one way or another, you're going to have to go through this again. If I come off as a bit of a jerk, well, I wasn't worried about hurting Kindle's feelings. Oftentimes, 
People think that kissing ass is the best way to get to the truth. They're dead wrong. In my experience, people are most forthcoming when they lose their cool. A person's temper is one of the best ways to cut through their bullshit. Kindle's eyes remained fixed, even as tears began to run down her cheeks. I've always loved the lake. Big, powerful. You respect it. You have to or it'll destroy you. She could almost be talking about Killian. Or her father. Do you go out on the water a lot? Not as much as I'd like. Why not? Lan and I own a boat together. When we were first married, I used to go out on the water every weekend. Now it's just sitting in the marina. I can't remember the last time we took it out. Well, next summer you'll have to- The cold never bothered me. It's bracing. Feeling the wind run across your face might numb the skin, but it makes your mind sharp as a knife. It reminds you that you're still alive. I doubt you care very much about sailing. I have other hobbies to occupy my time. Cut the crap, Mr. Adams. Why'd you come here? I said I needed help clearing up what happened. I thought you wanted to speak to Killian. She cut right through my little ruse. In that moment, I had newfound respect for Kindle O'Malley. If a bit of deception wasn't the answer, then perhaps the direct approach would be effective after all. Well, then I guess neither one of us is being honest. What's that supposed to mean? Her shoulders squared up as her muscles tensed. I know that you and Killian didn't come here the night that Liam disappeared. You didn't stop by until the next morning. You've lied to everyone. Me. The police. I just can't figure out why. The truth can break some people. But Kindle? She seemed almost relieved. I don't want to lose my husband to this. I know he's an angry man, a violent man. But I still love him, and if I told them the truth, he'd already be in jail with the lowlifes he goes after for a living. And what do you think would happen to him there, Mr. Adams? They'd kill him. I'm not working for the police, I reminded her. I'm trying to find your son. The best way to make that happen is to tell me the truth. You already know we weren't here. We stayed at the hotel like we planned to. We didn't come home until Petra called us. Why did you lie about it? It was Killian's idea. He was sure that we'd be suspects, that the police would waste all their time looking into us and not into who could have actually done this. It seemed like such a simple thing to lie about, but when I look back, it makes less and less sense. Killian came off as smart, but if she was telling me the truth, then he'd been astoundingly stupid. Even stupider than I thought, and that was pretty fucking stupid. All right, walk me through that night. Well, I suppose that by now you know our separation is more serious than we let on. I hadn't planned on bringing it up, but she wasn't wrong. Killian arranged for us to have a night together, alone. He cleared his schedule for the weekend. It was hard with the case coming up, but he'll have even less time once that starts. And who knows how long that mess will last. We left Liam with our babysitter, Tammy. Everything seemed fine. We went to dinner, just like I told you. After that, we went to the hotel. I've always loved it there. We went upstairs and, well, we made love. It was the happiest we'd been in the last year. Sure, but how would that make Killian look guilty? Because after we made love, my phone rang. Normally I wouldn't answer it, but it was Mercy calling. She's been worried about me recently, and I just wanted her to know that I was fine. When I answered, I reminded her that this was the weekend that Killian and I had booked the hotel. We were only on the phone for a few minutes, but it was enough. 
Killian and my sister don't get along, and he can be a bit restless. He decided to go down to the fitness center for a swim. By the time I hung up, he was gone. And just like that, the penny dropped. Killian's alibi had a large, gaping hole in its center. How long was he gone? A few hours. I was in the shower when he came back, and he was already asleep in bed. It's not very romantic, but I didn't have the heart to wake him. We've both been through so much. I thought a bit of rest would do us both good. I still believed we had the whole weekend in front of us. And then? And then I went to bed. In the morning I went out to get us coffee, but otherwise we stayed in the room. We were there together when the phone rang again. I actually ignored it the first time, but Petra called right back, so I knew it had to be important. That's when we found out that Liam was gone. Everything else we told you was the truth. Now Kindle's story made more sense, even if the choices that she'd made were terrible. Now I had more to look into regarding Killian, though without a motive it still didn't add up to very much. Why would he want his own son to disappear? You might be thinking of any number of grisly family murders, but those rarely leave any survivors. Parents rarely murder a child without murdering their spouse, or committing suicide. Yes, it's dark, but it's also true. Killian was more suspect than ever, but his actions didn't fit the pattern of a man who'd murdered his child. Did you question Killian about this? About the swim? Mr. Adams, I've seen a lot of ugliness in my life, more than you probably know. Mercy had told me all about their abusive father, how they'd watched their mother get beaten to death. It's hard to get much uglier than that. If I believed for a second that Killian could have done this, I'd... As angry as he gets, Killian's not a killer. To do what you're suggesting... I didn't suggest any... It would have had to have been in very cold blood, Mr. Adams. Premeditated? And why? Killian loved our son. He loved him. He might not have spent as much time with him as he wanted to, but it's not the way... People want to make him out to be some kind of monster. But that's not who he is. He's not a monster. What possible reason could my husband have for killing our boy? That was the same question that had kept me up all night. The one that I'd come here hoping to answer. Killian was the obvious suspect, now more so than ever. But the one thing he lacked was a motive. I haven't accused him of anything, Mrs. O'Malley. I'm just trying to make sense of it all. I understand, but this is precisely the reason we kept this quiet in the first place. You're spending so much time with your mind twisted around my husband's neck that you're not looking in the direction of whoever really did this. No offense, Mrs. O'Malley, but I suspect everyone. Even you. I can't afford not to. Not unless you can help me scratch him off the list. Well, you can. Trust me, Mr. Adams, my husband is a lot of things, but he's not capable of... of that. Well, your sister thinks that he is. Mercy. I suppose she's the one dripping poison in your ear? She's never liked him. In point of fact, they hate each other. I've noticed. I don't blame her. She remembers our childhood more clearly than I do. She's never had the chance to recover. And you have? Kindle stared me right in the eye. Mercy manages pain in her own way. I've learned to live with mine. Noted. And listen, I appreciate your honesty. All I want is to find your son. She nodded silently. Reaching into my pocket, I pulled out a business card. If you remember anything else, give me a call. Kindle took the card with deliberate caution, as if she'd just taken hold of a live hand grenade. You've got to promise me that you'll keep this between us. Just us, not even Killian. 
The truth always comes out, Mrs. O'Malley. Just until this is over. And what happens then? I leave him, we stay together. I don't know, Mr. Adams. I just want my son back. Do you understand? I can be discreet, Kendall, but the truth will out eventually. You need to be ready for that. I will be. On my way out, I took a closer look at the damaged wall. Five feet off the ground, someone had made a large dent in the plaster. Then, it'd been patched, but the work was sloppy, definitely not professional. When I was a police officer, I saw this sort of damage all the time in domestic abuse cases. It happens when one person's face is thrown against a wall. I felt very sorry for Kendall O'Malley. Even if I found her son, she lived in a world of pain. This condo was her prison, and she didn't even realize that she was the one holding the key. Leaving the O'Malley's, I called the number on Kelly Fitzpatrick's business card. I half expected to get a laundry service or something, so I was pleasantly surprised when she answered the phone on the first ring. Well, look who's finally up. I've been up, I said. Errands, you know? Anyway, whatever. I don't need to explain myself to you. The point is, we have a lunch date. I'm eager to keep it. I bet. So. Where are we going? I'm driving to Diana's, just off 117th. Got it. I might be a frequent customer of my friend's restaurant, but I knew Diana's well. The two establishments were barely a thousand feet from one another, both open 24 hours, and both had equally middling service. But my friend's has better desserts. I'll get us a booth where we can have some privacy. I'll see you there. I managed to pull up to the restaurant in less than 15 minutes. Kelly's car was in the lot, a bright yellow jeep with flames painted around the front wheels. You'd think that someone in our line of work would drive something less conspicuous, but Kelly made it work somehow. I assumed she rented cars when she needed to run a stakeout, just another expense added to the client's bill. Inside, Kelly was nestled in a booth in the far corner of the diner. I nodded at the waitress as I made my way back. I'll be right with you. Kelly wore a devilish grin on her face, which along with the freckles in her dark hair made her look like a gothic portrait brought to life. Good to see you, Zeke. Likewise. She offered a joyless smirk as she pulled a memory card from her jacket pocket. Just in case you wanted to know what I was shooting last night. She slid the card across the table. I assume you've got another copy. You can assume whatever you want. You realize it's illegal to aid in a bet in blackmail. Kelly snorted condescendingly. <laughs> oh, come on, Zeke. Is that the best you can do? It's the truth. You've taken just as many corporate jobs as I have. You know the drill. They hire you and you don't ask a lot of questions as to why. You just find out what they want to know, like what their employees are doing that might crater the stock price of the company. So, who's paying you at Syncorp? Listen, Zeke, this isn't an interrogation, all right? This is quid pro quo. You want something, I want something. Really? All right, then. What do you want? Why are you working as Abner's muscle? I'm not. I was coming by to drop something off. You're not the kind to go running off into gunfire. Not anymore. <laughs> I'm full of surprises, Kel. You're full of something, all right. 
Abner hired me because someone's trying to blackmail him. For what? You haven't figured it out? I just started tailing him yesterday afternoon. Then it doesn't matter. Someone wants to threaten Abner's position. It's in his and your client's interest for that to stop. According to you, you don't even know who my client is. If they're not trying to blackmail Abner, then they're trying to figure out if he's dirty or not so they can put distance between him and the company. If the dirt disappears, so do both of our problems. That sounds reasonable. Listen, here's what I can tell you. The thing Abner's being blackmailed for, it has nothing to do with the company. Or his job. As long as you're not trying to get leverage, that's all you need to know. I'll let the man who hired me decide that. So it's a man, then. I'd half expected it to be Lucy Televerger. She and Abner were business rivals, and I'd caught her assistant snooping through Abner's mail. Don't think you're clever. I spoke with him this morning. He wants to meet you face to face. <laughs> if you think I'm going to meet someone without knowing who it is that I meet- Iratu. Kelly said the name flatly. He wants to see you Monday morning to discuss our situation. Iratu. Now that was interesting. Iratu Shimiyuro was Syncorp's founder and CEO. I hadn't eliminated him as a suspect yet, but it didn't make much sense. As the man in charge of the company, he could fire Abner any time he wanted, and if he'd seen the pictures that I've seen, he could do so simply by saying he was protecting his company's image. There was no reason to dig up any more dirt. So if it's not him, what's his role in all of this? Okay, I'll meet him, but I have to check my calendar. Seven o'clock, before most of the executives arrive. Don't be late. All right. As I nodded, the waitress finally approached our table. Hey guys, is there anything I can get you to get started? I turned to Kelly. Are we done? She nodded wordlessly. Yeah, got it. You know what? I'm actually not very hungry. As smoothly as I could, I slid out from the table. I'll see you soon, Kel. <laughs> not if I can help it. With that, I made my way for the door. The moment I was outside, I sent a text to Katie Stroh. She was a detective, the only member of the Cleveland Police Department with whom I was still on good terms. She'd offered to run prints and DNA on the blackmail envelope. It would be nice to have that information before I met with Aratu. Thankfully, Katie didn't ask me to come down to the station. Instead, she sent me a text asking to meet her in an unmarked car. We found a nondescript parking lot. It's the sort of thing that cops do when they're meeting confidential informants. I'd played that role for her plenty of times, passing on intel that Justine had gotten for me from Spence. Those days were over now. I entered the lot a few seconds before she arrived. We angled our cars so that the driver's windows lined up. Hey, Katie. It's good to see you. <laughs> I wish I could say the same, Zeke. She smiled. So what's this thing you got for me? One of my clients being blackmailed. Every day he gets a new picture sent to his office. It's in one of these envelopes. I'm hoping we could pull a print or maybe my purpose stupid enough to lick it shut. Yeah, you wish. Yeah, I know. Katie paused, her eyes turned down. I've known her long enough to know when she's got something on her mind. What is it? What's what? There's something that you're not saying. 
I wouldn't. It's just that I heard a rumor's all. What kind of rumor? Blake West is on to something involving the top brass. It's being kept off the books. And, well, your name came up, Zeke. And I sure as hell didn't expect to hear it. <laughs> I bet. Is it true? Well, let's just say it's not totally wrong. What the hell is this? It's, uh, it's complicated. Well, you just make sure you're watching your ass, Zeke. West's attitudes on loyalty haven't changed much since you left. You got me? Oh, yeah. Just be careful. I always am, Katie. She looked around. There was another car on the lot down by the far end. It was probably just someone from the neighborhood. Probably. Anyway, you better give me that envelope. I reached into my pocket and pulled out the Ziploc bag. I handed it over with a nod. Thanks, Katie. Anytime, Zeke. You just watch yourself, alright? Sure thing. When I pulled out of the parking lot, I didn't have a specific destination in mind. I was trying to balance all the mixed-up details of my three cases, each one vexing me in its own unique way. Kindle hadn't cleared up much, and knowing that Aratu was paying someone to tail Abner, well, that didn't simplify his case at all. Meanwhile, I still had no real clue over who had killed Spence Ghent. Someone knew. That's what made it all so frustrating. For each one of these cases, the answer was out there, but I just didn't see it. Not yet. Blake had brought me onto the O'Malley case because I could go places the police couldn't, and I could take advantage of methods that skirted the letter of the law. Well, except for sleeping with Kendall's sister, Mercy. That was definitely not standard operating procedure. But all of my straightforward detective work had led me into a series of dead ends. Maybe it was time to overturn the apple cart. Fuck it, I mumbled. I made a hard U-turn in the middle of Carnegie Avenue. Slamming the gas, I headed back east. The city of Cleveland is a vibrant dining community, and Little Italy has always been one of the highlights. The hill on Mayfield Road is lined by dozens of small restaurants and bakeries, the heart of a neighborhood that's been home to both the best and the worst that Cleveland has to offer. It was no secret that the local mafia ran out of the back rooms of these cozy little eateries. Once upon a time, this had been the hub of the largest organized crime outfit between New York and Chicago. How many hits had been discussed over fresh pasta dinners? And while Cleveland's mafia might be a shadow of what it once was, the two families were still plenty capable of making someone disappear. And willing. Going right at them? That was stupid. It was the sort of thing that could get a guy killed. I should probably turn around and drive as far away from them as I possibly can. But as I said, where the fuck had that gotten me? Someone asked Thomas Edison what he felt like after he'd failed to make a working electric light bulb after 10,000 tries. I haven't failed, he replied. I've found 10,000 ways not to make the light bulb. As I pulled into a parking spot around the corner, I pulled out my cell phone. I called Blake West. He might be a prick and a son of a bitch, but he's also still a cop. What is it, Zeke? So, uh, hey, listen. If I don't call you back within the hour, send a couple squad cars to Amici and Teaming, will you? Tell them that I asked you for help. Wait, what? Are you crazy? What the hell do you think you're doing? What you hired me to do. Zeke, don't be an idiot. I hung up before he could try to talk any sense into me. Every cop in Cleveland knew Amici and Timmy. It was one of the oldest restaurants in Little Italy, 
and it was almost impossible to find a table there on a Friday or Saturday night. It was also run by the Lee McCulley crime family. Cops didn't come here, not without backup and an airtight warrant. The mob might not be what it used to be, but people knew better than to fuck around in a place like this. You don't play with fire unless you're willing to get burned. Yesterday morning, I'd talked to my friend Chester. He worked for the other family, the Trovalones, and for my troubles, he'd sent me the unambiguous message to stay the fuck out of family business. And that was the family I had a good relationship with. This is a bad idea, I told myself, pulling open the door. It took my eyes a few seconds to adjust to the darkness. Places like this always keep the lights down low. For their customers, it offers a certain ambiance. And for their own business, it offers a tangible advantage. It gives them a chance to get a good look at everyone who walks through the front door before that person can see them back. A young woman approached me. She was wearing a silk blouse and black trousers. Do you have a reservation? I'm here to see Tony. The hostess froze. Her friendly smile vanished. Young as she was, she knew who she was working for. And most people didn't come in here and drop his name in her lap, even when they were friends of the family. Do you have a reservation? Tell him I'm here to talk about Brady. He'll understand. Brady. The name rolled off my tongue, but it was a lead weight in my gut. I vividly remembered what had happened that night. I'd arrived just a few minutes too late. The sirens were already flashing, and a line of reporters had formed outside the yellow crime scene tape. At first, the case seemed relatively simple. By the time it was over, it had destroyed my entire life, and it ended Brady's. See, after Killian locked up Frankie Lee McCauley and his nephew, Frankie's son Angelo had inherited the family business. At first, they managed to maintain their position as the most powerful family in town. But then Angelo's right-hand man, Brady Francone, he'd taken a bullet to the back. The family's top enforcer, Antonio Littlefish Fisher, had been standing right beside Brady. He'd taken two bullets himself. But Littlefish managed to walk away with a couple of scars and a mild limp. Brady got a closed casket. Already this week, Justine had been warned by Littlefish to back the fuck off, and he wasn't the sort of person to be taken lightly. I'd spoken to him a few times, enough to know that he hated being called Tony. With Spence gone, he was my only connection to the Limacoli family, and that didn't bode very well. When the hostess returned, she had a large, nameless brute beside her. This is him. He nodded towards the back of the restaurant, and the three of us wove our way through a sea of white tablecloths. We cut through the kitchen to a small office. There, Antonio was waiting behind a small, neatly organized desk. The brute shifted behind me, his hands reaching forward to pat me down. I lifted my arms away from my torso. My pistol's in the left jacket pocket, I offered. The brute pulled it out. I'm going to want that back. Detective Adams, an unexpected pleasure. Littlefish made no effort to get up or shake my hand. Instead, he snapped his fingers at the empty chair on the other side of his desk. The hostess disappeared as I settled into it. I'm not a detective anymore. Really? I knew you weren't on the police force anymore, but I was under the impression that you turned yourself into a dick for hire. He flashed a cruel smile, 
one that I matched with a cheerless smirk. I prefer to be called an independent investigator. And I prefer to have my guests call before they come knocking on my door, so it looks like we're both disappointed. Fair enough. Littlefish tented his fingers, looking me over with a casual menace. How many had looked at his face as he drove them out to the lake, never to be heard from again? Killian might be an abusive prick, but he wasn't half as dangerous as Littlefish. This was already beginning to feel like a mistake, but it was too late to turn back now. With this kind of play, you either go big or you go home, and if Littlefish sent me home, I'd arrive there in a body bag. Let's not waste time, Detective. You told Annie that you came to talk about Brady. I lied. It was the only way I knew I could get a private conversation. That's a hell of a way to ask. He was my friend, you know. That's how I knew it would work. It's not wise to pick at old wounds, Detective. Even scars can bleed. The implication wasn't lost on me. It was time to get to the point. Listen, if I'd known another way, that's what I would have done. But there's something important going on. Something you and I need to talk about. Littlefish smirked. He may not suffer fools, but he respected those who demonstrated a certain kind of chutzpah. I desperately hoped that this would qualify. All right, you've got my interest. I needed to tread lightly. As a mob enforcer, Little Fish was good at digging out more from people than they wanted to reveal. But I kept coming up empty everywhere else, so what the hell did I have to lose? Someone's trying to bring down Killian O'Malley. I need to know if it's you, or someone in your family. A villain with a guilty conscience might have tried to talk their way around the issue. An overconfident one might try to laugh it off. Littlefish leaned forward instead, his eyes narrowing to slits. Explain. Someone thinks they can destroy O'Malley by going after his family. I was brought in to shake out who's behind it. The best lies hew close to the truth. The truth was, it wasn't clear that the motive for taking Liam had anything to do with Killian's career. But that seemed like a likely alternative and I was careful not to let on exactly how Killian's family was being attacked. Littlefish and I circled around one another, each one probing for weakness. What you're describing would be illegal, Mr. Adams. I'm sure that no one that works for us would have anything to do with that. Reaching into my pocket, I slid my cell phone across the desk. You can look for yourself, Tony. I'm not recording this, and I'm not looking to get anyone locked up. I'm trying to keep innocent people from getting hurt. You can look for yourself, Tony. I'm not recording this, and I'm not looking to get anyone locked up. I'm trying to keep innocent people from getting hurt. Littlefish glanced at the phone before sliding it back over. Innocent people get hurt sometimes when they're that close to someone like the man you've described. It's not fair, but that's the way the world works. I leaned forward, jabbing my finger against the table. Look, they're not going to be the only ones getting fucked by this. The man's out for blood, Tony. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm not the only one looking, either. If he doesn't get an answer from somebody soon, Killian's going to start rattling that saber of his. You've got first-hand experience of what that looks like. Detective, you're going to have to shake down someone else. I'm not involved, and I don't talk family business with outsiders. You, of all people, ought to understand why. Yeah. But I also know how blind people get when they want to settle a score. That's what got Brady killed, remember? And crooked cops, if memory serves. I'm not a cop anymore. I paused for a moment and lowered my voice. 
Think about it. Do you think a guy like Killian takes his power for granted? You don't think he's made other friends in the last nine years? I don't care. Yes, you do. Don't try to bluff me, Tony. I really am trying to end this with as little bloodshed as possible. I'm hoping that you and yours aren't stupid enough to be involved. Littlefish's eyes turned to daggers. Be careful, detective. A kitchen can be a dangerous place. I'd hate for you to get yourself hurt. Everyone knows that there's bad blood between you and O'Malley. Even if it wasn't you, if someone in the organization took it upon themselves, whatever it is, it has to stop. So ask around. You better make sure your family's clean, because you don't want to be the one holding the bill when the check comes due. Trust me. And if it was someone in the Limacolis, you better find a patsy, and soon. I already told you. And I said you better make sure, because someone's coming after Killian's family, and they're going to reap the whirlwind. And if it was me, why would I be so stupid that i tell you? Who the fuck do you think you are coming into my place of business and accusing me like I'm a common criminal? Oh, you're not common, Tony. I know that all too well. But we both know that you're capable of some cold-blooded shit. I'm not trying to threaten you. Actually, I'm looking out for you. Are you kidding me? Because it's not like it was in the old days. You can't take down someone like O'Malley, not without it blowing back. Times have changed. Not as much as people like to pretend. It's faster than you think. But if you don't agree, you're free to talk it over with Jimmy DeMora. I hear his cell is a double wide. You're quite convincing, Detective, but you're shouting into the wrong windstorm. We didn't touch O'Malley or his family. But if you see him, do me a favor. Tell him that unless he's got a warrant, he should stay the fuck out of my place. I don't like his pawns crawling around my neighborhood. It's bad for business, even legitimate ones. Sure. Just make sure that you and yours are clear of this mess with the O'Malley's. We prefer to put an end to conflicts, not start new ones. Seriously, if you know something... <laughs> Look, as far as I know, no one's actually gotten hurt yet. As long as that remains true, I can end this thing with a minimum of repercussions. But I'm the only one who can make that offer, okay? I'm not the enemy here. Littlefish smirked and shook his head. I'm sorry, Detective, but I don't have anything for you. This is just another dead end. And anyway, I'm a family man. That's the only kind of loyalty that matters to me. You understand? Of course, I just... Look, if something happens to O'Malley's family, sure, that gets rid of him. But that'll bring the feds raining down on the city. The family business can't hold back the tide the way it used to, and there'll be blood in the streets. That's the thing I'm trying to prevent. And by not being a cop, I've got more latitude to maneuver. You know what I'm saying? There was a long silence as Littlefish weighed what I'd just said. Then, all at once, he seemed to make up his mind. He reached under his desk and touched something hidden. Listen, detective, it's touching that you've got my best interests in mind. Really, it's quite heartwarming. But if you think for a second that I'm going to divulge family business to anyone out of house, you're very sorely mistaken. Behind me, the footsteps of Littlefish's goons were fast approaching. I reached into my pocket and grabbed a business card. I slid it across the desk and into Littlefish's lap. It landed a split second before the door opened. That's my private number, I said. I grabbed my phone off the desk and I slid it into my pocket. Littlefish pointed towards the door. 
I was grabbed harshly by the shoulder. I wouldn't hold my breath, detective. As I was shoved out onto the sidewalk, I was surprised to feel a weight slide into my jacket. I was halfway towards my car before I reached in to check what it was. The goon had actually given me my gun back. I gave it a quick once-over, just to be sure it was actually mine. It would be just my luck to be picked up with a gun used to make half a dozen mob hits. When I examined the magazine, I saw that Little Fish's thugs had taken out all the bullets. Petty bullshit. Jesus, who did he take me for? When I got to the car, I turned my phone back on and texted Blake. He didn't have to send in the Marines after all. Then, as I stuck my key in the ignition, I listened for anything unusual. If they wanted to kill me, they could have done far more discreetly than they could with a car bomb, but mob guys have a strange affinity for the old-fashioned. Thankfully, the engine turned over without incident. I pulled out into the street. I hadn't gotten as much from Littlefish as I could have hoped for, but I'd walked in and managed to walk back out again with everything intact. That was something and Littlefish had been insistent that the Limacolis had nothing to do with Killian's case. I couldn't exactly trust him. As he said himself, he wasn't about to go sharing family business with an outsider. But I'd sent the message that I intended to send. There was a way out of this that didn't involve going to war, as long as no one got hurt. And I could be trusted to help. With Killian's long list of enemies, there were still plenty of suspects but at least I'd done what I could to mitigate one of the more frightening outcomes. Of course, I still had no idea who had taken Liam. I was so preoccupied, I didn't even realize I was being followed until I was halfway to East 55th. I was coasting through a yellow light when the car behind me revved its engine, beating the red. The moment he was through the intersection, the other driver slowed down again, but it was too late. I'd already made them. They were driving a black Lexus with dark windows. A chill ran down my spine. Had this person been following me all day without me noticing, or had I pissed off Littlefish more than I thought? Passing the city mission, I veered right onto Prospect. I used my turn signal, not wanting to let on that I knew I was being followed. However, something about my driving must have given me away. The moment we were off Carnegie, all the pretenses disappeared. The other guy charged forward. I saw it immediately, and I hit the gas too. However, His instincts gave him the jump on me. A moment later, a gunshot cut through the air. My windshield exploded, showering me in shards of broken glass. The other car's engine roared, and the whole world began to spin. Bullets and Rust is written, recorded, and edited by Abraham Dunn. The theme music is written and performed by Avril McAnally. The cast for this episode was... Rachel Cotton as Detective Katie Strong. Samantha Hawkins as Kendall O'Malley. Colin McCormick as Abner Forrest. Daniel J. McLaughlin as Tony Littlefish Fisher. Suzanne McWhorter as Server Number One. David Payne as Detective Blake West. Joe Steigerwald as Kelly Fitzpatrick. Carmen Stewart as Annie. It should go without saying, but this series is entirely fictional, as are its characters. Any claims of resemblance to actual people says more about the person making them than it does about this show. This has been a Needle Drop production. 
Next time on Bullets and Rust. A gunshot's blown out the windshield of my car, and it's a race for my life. To survive, I'm going to have to turn to the support of some old friends, and I'm desperate to talk to Killian O'Malley. His son is missing, but he and his wife have been anything but forthcoming. What are they hiding, and why are they willing to risk their child's life? All that and more on the next episode of Bullets and Rust.